We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Welcome to the Seahawks Man to Man podcast, powered by The Athletic. Shout out to the company. My name is Michael Sean Dugo. I'm here with my co-host, Christopher Kidd. Make sure you follow us both up on the Tweet Machine. You guys know where to follow me. We've been doing this for a little bit. Chris, talk to the people. What is up, everybody? It's your boy, Christopher Kidd. Be sure to follow me on Twitter at CKIDD206 and that's CKID206. We're going to peel back the curtain for you guys a little bit here because we like to do that every once in a while. I feel like you guys dig it. Uh, to some extent, uh, Chris and I were mapping out the show uh, last week. I was like, yeah, let's have this guest on, which we will have in the back half of the show. Uh, I was like, let's have this guest. We're probably going to have to audible a little bit just because knowing the Seahawks, they're going to hire an OC right when we're scheduled to record. <laughs> and uh, thankfully, they didn't do it right when we were scheduled to record, but basically did it when we were scheduled to record. Um, so that's what we're going to talk about now. Uh, they reportedly hired uh, Shane Waldron, uh, the passing game coordinator of the Rams. He held that title for the last three years. Uh, in 2017, he was with the Rams as well as a tight ends coach. He followed uh, Sean McVay there from the Washington football team. I think they were there together in 2016. Before that, don't really remember where Shane was. Somewhere in college. UMass, maybe? Doesn't really matter. Um, anyway, they hired him. Um, it's not official yet, but probably by the time they're here in this pod, it will be, knowing Pete. He doesn't care about us. Uh, but uh, I'm pretty sure that that's the guy. That's the name I had heard. I'd heard two names um, prior to, uh, I think it was Schefter reporting it. I had heard that name and the other name I told you. Oh, uh, the Green Bay passing game coordinator. I think his name is a uh, white guy named Luke. Uh, those are the two. Uh, Pete obviously chose a dude from the Rams. Um, there's a lot, Chris to process here because a lot we don't know like i'm not really under the impression this will be the only move and i don't know how outdated this will be by the time the podcast drops but i would imagine that there are some other moves in there like i'd be surprised if dave canales is still a passing game coordinator for the seahawks um in the 2021 season um it wouldn't surprise me if uh shane brings someone else from la with him uh, to either work on the run game o-line or something something with the run game because Brennan Carroll left, um, and so now there's a, there's a position there open and on top of the OC job open. And it wouldn't surprise me, let's just say, it wouldn't surprise me if that the passing game coordinator spot is filled by someone else. Um, and I think uh, Schefter also reported that, like, Nate Carroll may be in the running there, Pete's son, because, uh, you know, the only people who listen, Pete listens to in the building are his kids. <laughs> and there's only one Ooh. kid left. Uh, I think it's his youngest kid, too. Um, so Wild. Uh, so I, I think uh, I've been kind of hearing some similar stuff on Nate that, Nate might be the guy. There might be some shifting, basically. So we might get a situation where actually Shane Waldron comes in here to fix the passing game and is not the passing game coordinator. So that's going to be kind of weird. Uh, before we get into that, uh, what did you think, Chris, when you was like, all right, they're going to bring in Shane Waldron. Besides who the hell is Shane Waldron, what else did you think? That was really it because I didn't know who he was. If you're not an OC, a head coach, DC if you're not in that realm, I kind of got to do my research on you. And that's what I did. Immediately went online. Oh, passing game coordinator. You look at what the Rams' offensive style was. A lot of play action. A lot of rolling out for Jared Goff in that offense. Also, a lot of running. <laughs> yeah, lots of running. And it sounds like a perfect fit. You have someone that has never been 
calling plays per se. Mm-hmm. Not, was, not at all. Not even per se. You're right. I guess he did in the preseason, but you get the point. That don't count. And now he is being tasked with being the OC. But we talked about this with Ben Baldwin last week on our last episode about at this point, is Pete just going to take over? Because you're doing what Pete says. Pete really has his and his idea of how he wants the offense to look. You just have to go run it. Basically, yeah. And with this hire, he's going to do what Pete says. Pete wasn't going to look for a guy that wants to do his own thing and is the OC and has an, an envision of what this offense could be. It's Pete's vision. With all that, this is the perfect candidate. A guy that hasn't run an offense, check. He's not going to undermine me and do what he wants to do. I'm not saying that's what Brian Schottenheimer, Schottenheimer did, but... From what it seems, they clearly couldn't come to an agreement, so he's out the door. Yeah, that's what Brian didn't want to do. So I was like, you got to go. You ain't going to listen. Bingo. And you bring in this young guy who was doing, he was the passing game coordinator. Now he's been upgraded for the most part to run this offense. I feel as if this is the right hire. Personally, I want to see the CX offense let Russ cook and let the defense do what they've been doing, and you might have opportunity to get back to the Super Bowl. Now things are interesting because Pete, his philosophy, we've talked about it so many times. You guys have heard it over and over and over again. It's going to be interesting to see how these things line up. Does he challenge Pete? Does he actually come here to Seattle and say, whoa, 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 you got DK? I saw these guys when we were on, when the when the Rams are on defense and I saw how they were playing. Now I'm actually going to practice with these guys and seeing them every day. Oh, Pete, you're crazy, man. What are you doing? Or is he going to be like, you know what, Pete? Yeah, I got you. We're going to run it. This is your offense. You got these plays that you want ran throughout the game. I got you. What do you think, Mike? I mean, I could do that. If he wants to, I mean, I couldn't design the plays, but shoot, I, I wonder <laughs> what this guy's making because I could definitely take that job. Although, eventually, I'd probably get to a point where Brian Schottenheimer got to was like, dude, we need to throw <laughs> this thing. Like, sure, we did your thing. Like, we got oh so far. Let's try my thing. And then he was like, no, no, no. Let's do let's do uh, the thing I want to do. And that's Pete. I mean, the, the difficulty with. Uh, the Shane hire that I have is, I mean, I wrote, what was that, two weeks ago that I was like, I don't think it matters who the OC is, right, for all the reasons you mentioned, right? All you're doing is just someone else is pulling the strings for you. Basically, you just uh, puppet, the puppet dude, you know? What's the dude in Pinocchio? Geppetto or whatever? Yeah, Geppetto. Yeah. yeah. I think so, so. like, yeah, Pete's <laughs> Geppetto, right? And then you got the OC is just the Pinocchio. The DC is the same way. For, oh yeah, fair. yeah. It's, it's the same Pete. thing with Ken. This is all Pete. <laughs> yeah, it's a special teams probably the same way too. I don't know of how many how many deviations there are over uh, or iterations there are of like special teams work, but I'm pretty sure that's Pete too. And he's a head coach, and that's how it goes, right? Yes. They give you the keys to the building, you do what you want. the The tricky part is figuring out what the hell Shane did in L.A. <laughs> like I honestly don't know. I mean, I, I talked a passing game coordinator. Break that what down. What does that mean, right? Yeah. Because I'll put it this way, right? If someone hired Dave Canales to run their passing game, whose OC job is open? Um, I think Detroit just filled theirs. I don't know if Tennessee's filled theirs, but you, let's use Tennessee as an example. Let's say because t- they lost Arthur Smith. Let's just say if Tennessee was like, all right, we're going to hire Dave Canales. In Tennessee, they'd probably be wondering, okay, well, you were the passing game coordinator when the Seahawks offense was passing it with success. You were also the passing game coordinator when the passing game stunk. So which part were you involved in? You know, like yeah. that's a bit, like we don't know. And it's the same thing with uh, with Shane. The Rams passing game was not good. Hey, <laughs> you know, last year it's been good though. It was good in 2018, and it was good enough in 2019. Their DVOA ranks are Mid. underwhelming. I think it's fifth in 2018, sixteenth in 2019, and something much lower in 2020. So they got progressively worse. Yeah. Right. So that's not good. I try not to use Goff's numbers in total as a barometer because the quarterback play like there's so many people involved in that especially when you got McVay who's the genius over there like how much is he doing you know Jared's had quarterbacks coaches I think wasn't Zach Taylor the Bengals coach uh, Goff's quarterback coach so we don't know how much of that was him Goff's had such a weird career where he sucked and he was good and now he sucks again so we don't know who's responsible for which parts of all that I say that to say I don't really know what to make um, of the hire the only thing that I kind of feel good about Right, a little bit is that the Rams are really good at generating yak yards at the catch. That they were like they're like top six every year uh, that McVay's been there, and specifically, I think they've been like top six or seven in the last three years that Shane has been calling the shots. So, to my understanding, Shane designs the plays. So that is good because that is a thing that you can probably carry over with this offense. It probably takes some little tweaking because. 
there's probably you need the right personnel with that too. Like it seems like they were built really well to do that in LA with Brandon Cooks and Robert Woods and Cooper Cup. Like that is a solid and even Todd Gurley probably factors into some of those numbers too. Um or even like who they got now, Cam Akers and stuff like that. Like they've they've built, you know, a really good scheme with that. I don't know how much of that was Shane, but if I'm assuming your passing coordinator at least designs the the the, the combinations. And if he does, okay. That's the one thing I'm like, that should transfer over here. Because the Seahawks have never ranked higher than 26th um, in yards after catch per completion. Um, that's according to Pro Football Reference, which I think has been tracking that since last 2018. So we have a good sample there. Since when they had Shoddy, Seattle was never higher than 26th. The Rams were never lower than like 7th Do you uh, think when, when they had uh, Shane. Do you think Pete will allow him, though, to come in and create plays and be creative as he was with the Rams as the passing game coordinator now that he is an, an O.C.? Do you think Pete says, "Yeah, go ahead, man"? See, that's a tricky part too. Because then, what if he's, what if there's someone else who's the passing game coordinator? Oh yeah. What if it's Canales? What if it's Nate Carroll? Yeah. Like, I don't. That's the thing. All I had was more questions after the <laughs> after, after the, the, the report to hire of uh, of Shane. I was like, okay, well, that's great. They got him. And I was like, okay, but wait, are you really gonna have control of the thing that you're supposed to have control over? Because yeah. that's the other tricky part about Pete. His main takeaway, even if this was not his only takeaway, very clear. His main takeaway from 2020, Pete's was. We need to run the ball more. Obviously, there's variations. I mean, there's, there's some threads from that. There's run it better. There's throw it short better. There's just do everything better. There's adjust better. There's other things that come from his takeaways. But the main one, let's run the ball more. Then he spent two weeks interviewing dudes and hired a passing coordinator. So I'm like, what the hell? Yeah. I just don't know what, like, are you, where are you going with this, Pete? Like, he hasn't really said he anything. He wants control, Mike. That's what it sounds like. It's just like control over which. So does that mean that Shane really just is really is on some puppet stuff? Yes. And then maybe someone else is the run game coordinator, someone there else is the passing game coordinator, and then Shane's just a figurehead and another scapegoat if it goes wrong. Yeah, man. Like, is this a shoddy 2.0 in that way? <laughs> to be very clear on shoddy, too, I don't know how much we talked about this. Shoddy had like three top 10 offenses in a row. Here. Just throwing that out there. Yeah, Fun like fact of the day. Not, he was not <laughs> bad at, at coordinating offense, right? Oh, yeah. So it's going to be very hard to be better than shoddy. So it's really, is it just going to be another situation where like, Someone's in charge of this thing. Someone's in charge of that thing. Pete's really in charge of all of it. Ultimately, if it goes wrong, it's Shane's fault. That's kind of, I mean, I hate to be that guy, but that's what I'm thinking of. I said it last week. At this point, why doesn't Pete just take over for the offense? And, yes, that's a lot more on his plate as a head coach. But, my goodness, Pete, you just brought in a passing game coordinator. He's not, I don't see him saying, ah, we should do this more. And if he does, does that put him in the doghouse? And now he is ousted after one year. I mean, these are things you have to think about. And maybe this kid, he will groom into something and be an offensive coordinator, and Pete will trust him because maybe he runs his offense perfectly. Maybe Pete's like, I love what you did your first year. I'm going to give you more, what's the word I'm looking for? Leeway? Yeah, more leeway to run autonomy this. Autonomy? Is autonomy. The best That's, word yes, for it. Yeah. more autonomy to run this offense see, the way I see fit. That's probably the end goal. But coming in right now, I just don't see that. Considering, as you just pointed out, Ryan Schottenheimer was making things work. Yeah. <laughs> the run game. Seattle's run game wasn't bad last year, by the way. Like, depending on what metrics you want to use, actually none of them said Imagine it was bad. Imagine if Chris Carson stayed healthy. Well, and even even when he was on the field, like, he was very efficient. Like, he was probably Productive. One, of more, more Chris, uh, more of Chris, one of Chris's more efficient years. I'd have to really go back and verify that. But they were, like, top 12 and run DVOA, uh, something similar in, like, EPA per rush. Like, the run game was fine. It wasn't yeah. elite, but it was fine. Um, they just weren't doing it as often as Pete liked, which is why I think his main takeaway was to <laughs> run it more. There's other things in there, um, but it was to run it more. The The other tricky part is, like, what happens when wh – how, how, how loud is Shane's voice in the room, right? Like, he Ooh. hasn't been an OC before. He's never called plays before. How does Russ take it? You know, he's dealing with dudes who, like, I joked, uh, I forget who I was joking with this about, like, uh, Shane called plays in the preseason of 2019, right? Apparently, Sean McVay was like, here, give it a go, right? I was like, Russ called plays in 2019, too, in the preseason as well. I remember he called those two drives for Geno, so it's just like, yeah, obviously, they're not the same thing, and in that regard, Shane has more familiarity with calling plays, but, it, like, neither, you're, you're basically giving a 10-year veteran who feels his legacy is on the line, like, here's this dude who ain't called plays before. In a time when adjusting in-game and building, you know, game plans to counter what the other team was doing, you know, take away your strengths, when that was a problem, now you got a guy who's never even done this before. 
that that could go either way. That's more of like how you feel about the team is going to shape that. Are you a glass half full person? You're a glass half empty person. I'm somewhere in the middle, like, you know, whatever. I'm going to drink what's in the grass, glass regardless uh, type of thing. But I, I don't know how to feel good necessarily about that because Russ has called plays in games on the fly before. Headset yeah. gone out. Don't worry. I got it. I got this. And then it leads to good things, too. Touchdown like He's points. led touchdown drives where no one can the, – the coaches are just out there just watching like we are. I think Shadi said this year he went to go grab like a, a cookie or something like that during one of the games where Russ's mics went out. I think it was in Miami. Uh, the mic went out. Shadi was like, oh, I'm going to go grab a piece, piece of cake. Uh, come Damn. back. Oh, we scored, huh? Nice. <laughs> good job, Russ. You know what I'm saying? Like that's, that's where Russ is at in his career. He can just call the plays himself. You know, he's been doing this for a long time. So how does that work? with dude who hasn't done this and how does that work with the in-game adjustments part like the problem with um not the problem but i think the sequencing as we talked about ben baldwin last week with the offense was like they they were hot at a time when they were playing that good defenses and when just in general offenses tend to be hot right in the earlier part of the season where team defenses are still catching up but then what happens around like weeks seven eight nine ten and beyond defense is like oh we got film now we got charts with your tendencies. We can study your play caller. Okay, how does that go with your rookie play caller? Like, I'm sure it can be good, but because dude's never done this before and he worked for a dude notorious for being the brains of the offensive side of the mm. ball, that makes it even trickier. If he used to, who's a defensive coach? Name a defensive coach in the league right now. Who's one? Um, like a head coach who's a defensive mind like Pete. I was going to say Matt Patricia, but that didn't work out yeah, well. Yeah, he's gone. <laughs> um, let's, actually, let's actually, Bill Belichick. Uh, I, like, I like your Matt Patricia example. That's good, too. Eh, That's good, too. Uh, I feel you. But Bill yeah. Belichick's kind of been both over his career because he's just this just like offensive savant. Uh, let's say he used to work for Matt Patricia. Shane did. Uh, right? You, and he came over here to run the offense. You would know that he had some autonomy in, in Detroit because Matt Patricia's like, I'm a defensive guy, so I'm not really hands-on with, your, with, with how you're vibing. Whereas if he came from like L.A. or even San Francisco, where it's just, or even uh, who's um, – even Kansas City, where it's like the guy in charge is so involved in the offense, we don't know how to separate which parts are you and which parts are the other guy. And we have to figure that out on the fly. So the benefit of the doubt is kind of gone. So I understand I understand reasons to be optimistic about it. I understand reasons to be pessimistic about it. I know I understand reasons to be like, I don't know what the hell is going to happen in 2021. <laughs> you know, I think that applies in the whole world, you know, yeah. the pandemic or whatever. Uh, but I, I'm not down on it necessarily, but I do have like, I came up with like 10 questions of like, oh, what about this? What about this? What about this? What about this? More than I was like, I like it. I don't know who he could have hired for me to be like, I like it. But I don't, I don't think this was the one for me to be like, I like it. Does that make sense? Yeah, the only reason why I like it because I just ultimately believe that Pete wants to run it his way, period. There's no if and and buts. And if you're not willing to break bread with Pete, you're not going to be with the Seahawks. You're not going to be on that coaching staff. And this is the opportunity for this guy to come in and chain and be that that piece that Carol wants to mold. <laughs> That's really what I think it comes down to. Who can he mold into what he wants this offense to look like right now? And that's the guy. Because let's say Doug Peterson didn't want to take time off and he was willing to come to Seattle. Doug's not going to let that fly. Doug's going to be like, dude, what is wrong with you? Do you not see the talent you have? You could be. What if Shane's like that too, though? But even, I I guess that's to the point, but I don't think he is. And I guess we'll find out as the season goes. I just don't think he is because it'd be interesting to see what he was actually doing with McVay's offense. Like, how much autonomy did he have with that offense? Was he really, did he have any say? Was he drawing up plays? Was he with McVay? I mean, we know he was with him, obviously, but what facets of the game did he play key parts in? You know, that would be my question, my thought on this process of what he plans on bringing to the Seahawks as coming from a passing game coordinator now Offensive coordinator. See, here's the other thing, too. This is interesting. So I don't think the, the Rams don't have an OC, correct? No, Sean McVay. They have an OC, but Sean McVay is the OC. Correct. Right? He just so, delivers the message. So in terms of, like, the passing game, if you are if you are the passing game coordinator in L.A., you are effectively second in command, right? Like, you are executing another person's vision. Yeah? I think you might be third in command. I'm, a, I'm, look, I'm looking up the offensive Rams coordinator. Uh, I don't think they have an OC. I they do. They do? Who's yeah, OC? it is. 
I, I feel like I maybe they do. I don't know the Rams that well. Um, I know I don't think the Niners have one either. I feel like those are situations where the head coach is calling plays, so you're effectively the second in command. But even if you're not, you are just ultimately executing a version of you know Kevin O'Connell. That's his name. All right. Yeah. Um. So you're you're a sen- is he new there or he he been there? He was there. I don't. You know what? I'm sorry, Mike. I don't. He was hired by our team on January 16, 2020. So he's new. He was a year in. Okay. So. When you're coordinating the passing game, and either way, my point still remains because here here's where I'm going to go with this because you're right. Pete's going to do whatever he wants. So let's say you're Shane, right, and you were second or third in command, right, in terms of, like, the passing, you know, how you guys move the ball through the air. Cool. You come here, if if he doesn't even have the passing game coordinator title here, and then he's already carrying out someone's vision how does he deal with that personally? Because that's ultimately, that means you got a promotion to not get a promotion. That means you left your boy, McVeigh, that you was with, to come up here with Pete, who I presume he does not know. I don't think they have any connections anywhere. Haven't worked together anywhere. I think he's 41 and Pete's 69. So I don't really know when they've crossed or anything like that. So you leave LA and your, and your man, assuming he likes Sean. I don't know if he does. <laughs> I'm sure. I'm sure he does. So you leave, you leave your man down in LA to come up here and and have... A fraction more power? Maybe. That's the other thing. Because that can be cool in year one. That can be cool maybe in like year two. I don't know. Shadi lasted three years. Like that's, how do we, that's the big part of this. It's relationships. It's relationship. It's behind the, remember we t- we've talked about on this show for a while now about the behind the scenes stuff is really what influenced the on-field product more than anything. Execution was bad. Whatever. There was some stuff that just wasn't right. Russ was throwing picks. O-line wasn't great. Uh, I think DK and Tyler were like third and fourth in the league in drops. Like there was just some, everybody had a, a hand in just screwing things up. Pete too. But just from a from a man standpoint, from like an ego, you know, being alpha, if you leave Sean and come up here to Pete, you, you, you think you're getting a promotion. You come up here and you're like, well, hold on. Okay, I got an answer to this dude. Hold on, is this, is this, is this son designing it? Okay, wait a minute. Okay, what, what, what do I do, right? Yeah. And then how long does that last? Everything lasts when you guys are succeeding. Right? Let's say they let's say they have another top 10 offense. Everything's probably great. Then is it all just about what happens in the playoffs? You know what I'm saying? Like there's so many ways for this to be great, but there's like this, there's this way that I foresee, maybe because I'm all doom and gloom today. I don't know what it is. It's raining, whatever. I'm hungry. That this just goes very much like the Schottenheimer experiment but perhaps even faster because Russ is really acknowledging my clock is ticking on my legacy. That was going to be the next thing. What is this? How does Russ feel about this situation? He wants to win, and now you're bringing in a guy that offensive passing coordinator. You're not even bringing in an offensive coordinator. You're bringing in a guy that was the pass coordinator for the Rams. And as you mentioned, the Rams passing game mid at best. It was worse than the Seahawks. I can say that with confidence. And in his head, Russ has got to be thinking, oh, this – I mean, I guess I'll I'll see what happens. <laughs> That's really what you have to go with. We'll see what happens. But maybe Russ knows that this is what Pete wants to do. He's well, he definitely knows that. How's he feel about it, though? You're right. That's that's the disconnect there. He knows, but how does he really feel about it? And can we talked about this a few times? Does Russ have the say where he can come up and be like, "Yo, you are messing it up. I'm in my prime. I threw 40 touchdowns last season. That's a lot. What are you doing?" What's going on? I have DK. I have Tyler. Get us. Get me a tight end. I don't. We could. You could just be the offensive coordinator. If that's how you really feel, who I knows? Get, that could be happening. You're right. It could I'm be. Not reporting that that is. I'm just saying it could. It, the the good thing is I will say this, Chris. I, I my understanding of the situation is that Russ did have some input in the decision making process. That doesn't necessarily mean like that's good news. That's good. Does that mean he liked all the candidates that Pete presented as like, here, man, have input in A, B, and C. And if, if, if Russ is like, I don't like any of these guys, but I like C the most, right? Yeah. It could be a situation um, like that. Or like, hey, you got A and B, pick one. It's like, okay, take the lesser of the two evils type of thing. I don't know that. Um, we'll probably never know that. Um, yeah. But I do, knowing Russ and what he has said about, you know, look at the, when Russ lets us know what he's thinking sometimes, you just got to read between the lines. Like, when Russ talks about offenses he wants to be, he usually cites the specific team or the, the Chiefs, coach. The Chiefs. <laughs> I guarantee you he probably wouldn't. Um, what's the quarterback coach in Kansas City? What's that dude name? Uh, Mike Kafka. Let's go with that. Let me Google it. Um, but 
I'm pretty sure it's Mike Kafka. I'm, I bet you that he wanted someone from there or um, someone at another like really creative place like like or even like a New Orleans where they really maximize, you know, like their quarterback who's a little undersized and like they uh, they maximize the intermediate passing game. It's Mike Kafka. That's what it is. Okay, cool. So that would probably be like an ideal situation there for Russ, but he probably he could be on board with this. I don't know. But you're right. That is the other big part of this. And again, everything can be fine in year one. We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. And the reason why I like it is because this is what Pete wants to do. The last thing the Seahawks need as an organization is bringing in someone that Pete's kind of like, eh, and then within seven months fired. And now you're at a stalemate of, how's this team doing? Well, they just fired the offensive coordinator. Pete's not happy. If Pete's going to be happy with this move, that could mean positives or it could mean same thing we saw last year. Yeah, My hope is it's positive, and that's why I'm on the side of, I like the move. Do I get it? Not 110%. I really don't. But hey, Pete knows way more than I could ever imagine. I'm trusting the process. Do what you got to do. Let's see if this is a change from what we saw last year. It's going to be very tough, as Mike said, to beat out what Schottenheimer has done for these last three seasons. But maybe that's not what Pete even wants. Again, I really believe Pete is under the impression that, yo, you coming in here to do what I want to do. When you walk through those doors, we running it 40 to 45% of the time. Ain't no, throwing is, is cool, but if you're going to turn the ball over, can't be, we can't do that. We have to stick to what I know and what I've done and what got us a Super Bowl. See, that's where, and we could probably close it on this, that's where I'm in the exact opposite boat. I think if he came in here to just do what Pete says, that's bad. Cause I just well that's just because I philosophically do not agree with Pete's way of yes of just playing offense with this roster. But even even sorry to cut you off, even still, this is an opportunity for this guy to show he's he can learn, he can understand, and that could open up a door later on for him. And I know that has nothing to do with the Seahawks for the most part, but for him, it's a career move that hey, I can get closer to being an actual OC if I come in and do what Pete says and just listen and learn. That could be his way of thinking. I could be completely wrong on that too. Well, I mean, yeah, he could listen and learn, but is he gonna is it gonna succeed? And that's the thing. That's why if it if the if what happens here is like he comes in and says, Hey man, you're gonna do what I say, and he's like, All right, cool. <laughs> I don't what what Pete says to do, I just fundamentally disagree with. Yeah, like I think understood. The, the math he uses to come to his conclusions, I think is 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 misguided. I think it's bad math in a lot of ways. Like the rule of fifty one or fifty three, like he needs so many pass attempts and rushing attempts to get to like 53 or something. Yeah, I remember you saying these past completions ago. and rushing attempts like equal 53 or be above 50 and like, no, that's dumb. Like all that's dumb. Like uh, Pete's solution to most things is running the ball more. Um, I just I just fundamentally disagree. So yeah, that's where I'm scared. If I'm a Seahawks <laughs> fan, I'm like, yo, this dude come here and just do what Pete says. We are screwed, guys. Yeah, it could be, it could be an issue, but your hope is that the defense – continues to play at a high level next season and if they can create turnovers and and dominate that other side of the field and running the ball and they're not turning the ball over and they're scoring a few touchdowns and they're getting ugly wins 
it could it could be the same or it could be a Super Bowl. Yeah, that's the thing about um Pete's way of doing it. Not only do I fundamentally disagree with it from like a mathematical standpoint and a practical <laughs> standpoint, and in terms of just watching how the game is played today, the way he wants to play offense puts a strain on the defense. Like you guys have to be elite for this to work. Work meaning get to the Super Bowl. You can't just have a good defense and run the ball really well and get to the Super Bowl. No, no, no. You need an elite defense uh, to do that, right, to maximize your defensive possessions in terms of, like, getting turnovers and getting off the field really quick, right, because you're trying to, you're basically trying to control time of possession. Like, Pete values time of possession way more than he should. It's just not a really important stat. Controlling the clock is irrelevant. Control the scoreboard should be your goal, right? So I'm really scared. Like, now I've talked to myself. We've been talking here for I don't know how many minutes. I've talked myself into being scared of the hire now. I've, for real, I, I am. I, I don't think I've helped. <laughs> it, no, you, like, you're the, opt- you're being Pete here. In that, like, yeah, that's all the good reasons why it could work. Because Pete's like, yeah, he came in here and do what I say. It's great. And I'm just like, that's the <laughs> no, problem. No, no, he no, came no. in here and do what you say. That's the problem. Like, you know what I mean? Like, you <laughs> Did need you see someone, last year? <laughs> he needs someone to challenge him. That's why I wanted Doug. Doug would have been perfect. Because nah, him and Doug would have just screamed at each other, probably. And I mean, that's, it, that would have been the bad part. Uh, but maybe it results in a Super Bowl. Yeah, uh, maybe. <laughs> they, they got one together before. I think they really needed someone to challenge his way of thinking and get him Brian to. Schottenheimer. get Exactly. <laughs> See what I'm saying? See why I'm scared now? Because like Pete got to a point last offseason, I'm not sure how, he got to a point where he was like, we're going to try something new. Brian talked him into it. Whoever talked him into that (laughs) should have gotten more control this offseason. And now I think if that was shoddy, I don't know if that was shoddy. Might have been Russ, might have been a combination of both, might have been a few people, might have been Nate Carroll, might have been Brandon Carroll, (laughs) might have been John, John Snyder, the people that he says he listens to. That's the other thing. He's down to one dude he listens to. That's, and that's his that's son. Bad. So it's like, okay, I don't know how that'll work either. So we'll see. Uh, I don't feel super great about it. Uh, I think the the honeymoon phase of it should be fine. Like, they should come out of the gates looking pretty good, I think. They should honestly have a good whole first year. But when that playoff comes and they reach some adversity, um, how does that go? We saw how it went last year. Adversity, Pete was like, let's turn it down a notch. Mm. I was like, okay, we're going to do this again. Uh, because if this is just a repeat of 2018, they get in the wild card round and then just flame out in like Tampa Bay or something because they didn't throw it enough. Like I, I, I could see it. I'm being Debbie Downer here a little bit, but I could see it. So I'm, I'm scared. That's like my take. My final take. I'm a little scared. I'm All right. scared that history is about to repeat itself because the steps are there. I think for history to just just run it back uh, again and an even so. faster version of what happened with Shotty. Right, so anytime, like, before we get our guests on here, I'm going to make that very clear. Like, oh, Mike, what do you think about the hire? Guys, I am scared. And on the line now with us, we have the homie who covers the NFL for The Athletic. I've been doing it for a while. Does a great job. Uh, We have the homie Mike Sando. Mike, what's going on, man? Not too much. Good to be here. Thanks for having me on. We got a lot to talk about. Yeah, no, yeah, we do. Let let's just jump right into the biggest thing that it, well, one of the biggest things everyone's talking about in the Seahawks world right now is the OC hire, uh, reportedly going to be Shane Waldron, uh, the passing game coordinator from the Rams. He's held that title for the last three years. He was a tight ends coach with the Rams, I believe, in 2017. Followed McVay there from Washington. Kind of, what was your re- initial reaction hearing that that was going to be the guy? Um, I think it's probably uh, a, a good move based on, you know, all the people they were talking to. You know, I think um, we knew that Pete Carroll was going to get uh, probably not going to go with someone who's going to come in and just do his own thing. Right. He, he wants some control over it. So he gets that with a younger coach. Um, but he also gets somebody from, you know, a known offensive system that um, is respected in the league, is successful, has given Seattle problems in the own divi- in their own division. We sort of know what the offense is finally, right? We know what it should look like. We know how they're going to play. And we know that has worked other places. Um, so that gives them something there. And then from, you know, from Pete's standpoint, I think, too, he gets to keep a lot of the same staff, obviously, as, you know, his son's in the mix there. So, you know, it's probably about as good as I think they were going to get. Yeah, so the thing I've been kind of struggling with is to figure out what exactly – Shane was responsible for in LA and how much of that is going to be transferable here. Cause like the, you see people now speculating like, Oh, they, they got rid of the ball quick. So that means that's what Russell do. Or like Jared didn't get sacked a lot. So maybe it'll decrease Russ sacks numbers. You know, all the things that, you know, you, you dive in analytics better than anybody that I know. 
that a lot of those things are quarterback dependent, right? You guys who take sacks just take sacks. It's kind of yep. just who they are. So what do you, what do you think right. that Shane was able to do in LA yeah. will be transferable up here in Seattle? Okay, so the one constant with him in LA, and then also in uh, he was in Washington the year before that is uh, the quarterbacks under center a lot more. And so if you look at the Seahawks the last five years, um, you know on early downs they're sixty one percent shotgun, you know which is you know probably in the upper half uh, of the league. And if you look at the Rams the last what four years he's been there, they're thirty one percent shotgun early downs. That's thirty second in the league. So. What they believe is that, and I mean, this is a fact, that when your quarterback's under center, you have much greater diversity in the run game. And it makes sense because if you're in the shotgun, usually, unless you're in the pistol, the the running back's on one side, and it kind of cuts down on the number of things you can do in the run game. doesn't mean you can't have a good run game, but they believe that if you're under center, that the whole play-action offense and running game become more robust. And I think that's true. So we would expect that to happen. They're, they're going to be under center more often. You can still, you know, I think Russell's ideally suited for um, the bootlegs and the moving the pocket. So he doesn't have to be in the same spot, you know, wait, hoping his offensive line holds up. You can move him around a little bit, uh, which obviously they're, they're, they'd be stupid not to do. I mean, he's great at that. You get him out, you know, on the edge a little bit. You, you increase his vision. You increase the opportunities with DK Metcalf down the field. Um so, you know, I think those things are kind of interesting to me. You know, I think I'd be a little bit excited as a Seahawks fan to have, um, you know, something that's, I think, going to be fairly clearly defined. I think he's going to try to do what McVay did and, you know, what Zach Taylor's trying to do in Cincinnati, maybe without the, you know, the good enough personnel or, or whatnot. And then we'll see if he can do it, right? I mean, we don't know if he can actually do it. See, look at that, uh, look at that, Chris. Like uh, Mike just had the, the the shotgun numbers just right off his head. I told me num- numbers guy knows him so so well. Uh, one of the things you mentioned, Mike, is just that, that Pete's kind of keeping most of the gang together, right? It mostly just got rid of uh, Brian Schottenheimer and then his son Brendan Carroll, who was the run game coordinator, is off at the University of Arizona, being the OC there. Uh, but this, I feel like the dynamics in Seattle are just as important as what happens on the field. You know, there's a report from Adam Schefter that Nate Carroll may be considered to replace uh, Dave Canales as the passing game coordinator. We don't know what will happen be who the new, you know, run game coordinator necessarily, if they're going to even have someone who has that title. And then there's just the whole, you know, Pete's philosophy, which you're going to get into as well. How, how do you think, Chain is going to be able to handle all of the things that may be happening behind the scenes in Seattle that you know influence the on-field product. Well, I mean, I, I don't know what the you know what a poll of the staff would say of who they wanted. I mean, we don't know, but life goes on. I mean, there's changes all the time um, in the NFL. I don't know of anyone on the offensive staff there who hasn't gone through it before. You know, it's a reality of it. You're professional. Um, they're they're you know big boys there who all wanted to have a certain job, maybe didn't get it or it went this way or another way. Um, so I think that all works itself out and, you know, isn't going to be um, a, a driver success-wise. I think for Pete's philosophy, what's interesting is, you know, so Pete is perceived as wanting to turn back the clock to 1985 and run the ball on every down and then pass only on third down when you have to, right? That's sort of the Pete criticism, which he's earned, as we know, I mean, they have gone overboard at times with, uh, you know, their reliance on the run. Um, but if you look at if you look at the Rams, I mean, the Rams are perceived as having this forward-thinking younger head coach who really knows how to have the schemes in today's day and age. But heck, they're they're running the ball too. So you know, one of the ways that I've measured how frequently you run and i talked to pete about this is just all right what percent are we running the ball on first and second down in the first 28 minutes of the game it's really simple because once you get outside of that realm you're talking about two minute offense and a half second half you're talking about what's the score that's all going to influence it but the first to me the first 28 minutes of the game are tell us a lot about what you want to be and so kansas city is going to be very high towards the pass, 65 percent at the other end, you're going to have Baltimore, New England this last couple of years. They, they might be under 40%. And Pete, at his stubborn most 2018, you know, was as run-heavy 40% pass in those situations as anybody. I mean, it was Tim Tebow levels, okay? 
Well, the Rams the last four years have only been above the league average one time. I mean, they're coming in at the league average has been 53% pass in those situations each of the last three years. They've been 50, 53, 48. So they're right around there. I think Pete's comfortable being nearly average. I don't think he wants to be 65%. I think he feels you lose something um, with kind of the toughness of your team, your ability to create explosive plays. And we can debate that, you know, it may be true, may not be true, but we know this. They've had run-oriented offenses that were very explosive in the past game, and it's not mutually exclusive. There's a lot of ways to win in the NFL. There are teams towards the bottom of the that are run heavier that win a ton of games. So I think as long as they're not too far towards the run, as long as they're near the league average, I think they can be really good. I want to plug one of Sando's pieces here. It's it's from 2019, but it's it's like probably the most relevant you know piece of like. Uh, Pete writing that we have right now. The headline is, quote, we are as much like the old Packers as you can get. Pete Carroll's tendency toward running is no passing fancy. And I think that's really important because it, it speaks to a lot of what you were just mentioning, like about where Pete wants to be numbers wise, right? Like you had that great sit down yep. with him where you showed him the chart and that basically, yeah, like, hey, man, Pete, you out here on your Tebow stuff when you, <laughs> you know, <laughs> whether you want to be that way or not, you're out here uh, on, on your Tebow stuff. Like, where does that come from with Pete? Like, how far back does that go? And is there room, you think, yeah. for him to marry that with some of the let Russ cook stuff since this roster seems to be better suited to to throw it a little bit more than he'd like. Yeah, when he's talking about old Packers now, we're not talking about the far Packers. We're, we're talking about the Bart Starr Packers. I mean, kids out there need to start Googling. We're talking like the 60s Packers, okay? I mean, back then in the oldest eras of, well, not the oldest eras, but the oldest eras of football in the last 50 years, okay? If you go back to the early 70s, football, quarterbacks could throw the ball 15 times in a game. I mean, it just wasn't. They could throw it 10 times in a game. You could go to the Hall of Fame as a quarterback throwing 15 times a game. Uh, the old Bob Greasy, uh, Miami Dolphins, the uh, Bart Starr, uh, you know, Green Bay Packers. Obviously, that you can't do that now. And I don't think he has any intention of doing that. But he, when I talked to him about that and kind of showed him this chart, and you can see it in that story in The Athletic, it showed the Seahawks going under the league average in their past tendency on my little early down first 28 minutes, right? The league average is humming along at 53%. And if you look at the Seahawks in their best years, 13 and 14, when they were really good on defense, ran the ball a lot, had Marshawn, kind of 40 to 45%. Well, if you're that low, you're in the bottom five of the league right now. Pete did say at that time he wouldn't mind being in there. But I think he genuinely does believe now that Russell Wilson can handle a little more than that. Um, and so I don't think he wants to be quite that low. My, my feeling is that it'll, he'd like to be a little under the league average, but not too far under. So, you know, he's going to believe that their past frequency when they were really letting Russ cook was a contributing factor to Russ having a run of turnovers. I think you, you can't talk him out of that. I, and I haven't spoken to him directly about that this hot season, but I'd be shocked if he doesn't believe that. If he doesn't believe that they can be successful and score 30 points a game if they need to just taking a little bit off of that and being a little bit more quote-unquote balanced speaking on the letting russ cook what is your theory on what exactly happened with russell he was on fire and then that fire fizzled out well i do think that they have benefited for a long time from people thinking that you're a running team and that you have to focus on the run first when you play seattle uh, when that's the case, you do play a lot of single safety defenses. You do get better matchups in the passing game. Russell Wilson can kill you when he gets good matchups in the passing game. I think sort of what happened was people realized, oh, you're letting them cook? All right, well, we'll play some different defenses and coverages on you. And I think they didn't have a good adjustment to that. Pete got frustrated with that, and Pete changed the offense coordinator to try to, try, try to rectify that. And We'll find out if they can. I think they didn't have an adjustment to it um, in the second half of the year, and now they may be treated a little bit more like a passing offense. And that was always sort of not the knock on Wilson, or it was just the context on Wilson. Early in his career, people were like, why aren't people putting him in Tier 1 in your in your 
quarterback tiers stand though? And I would say, well, because they don't pass the ball that much. They're not a drop back pass team. I mean, he can do it, but they're running the ball. They're number one on defense. They're not asking, they're not putting on his shoulders. And in the last couple of years, they put it more on his shoulders. He did better, and he was unanimous tier one coming into this year. But they didn't sustain it for the whole year. So I do think there is something to kind of kind of prove there that you can do this and have answers. Pete told us he thinks it was the coaching was the issue. He hmm. doesn't think it was Russell. Wow. You and, made, oh, go ahead. Sorry. Yeah, and we can't. I mean, we can't prove it one way or the other. It'll be borne out probably this year. You mentioned that Russ was tier one over the summer. Has that changed? Is he still a tier one quarterback regardless of his regression in the second half of the season? I bet you he will still be in tier one, but will not be unanimous with all 50. I think Aaron Rodgers and Mahomes will be unanimous. Now, Mahomes and Wilson were unanimous this last year. A couple people had to put Rodgers you know, in, in tier two. Their production had declined in recent years. But I think now Rodgers will go back to one unanimous, Mahomes one unanimous, and probably uh, some twos will creep in for Wilson, but he'll be solidly in tier one. Got it. Have you gotten any insight from execs on how Russ is viewed in the NFL and the league in that regard? Um, yeah, I mean, just people that I talk to think that he's still tier one, but, you know, you, you maybe have to help him a little bit more. Um, whereas I think people feel like, you know, with Mahomes and now with Rodgers, that you may not have to do that as much. The irony of that is, the Green Bay Packers are have moved towards the run. <laughs> They've actually been more run-oriented than Seattle. Mm. And it makes the job a lot easier for the quarterback. It's just a lot easier. Aaron Rodgers playing in a play-action offense almost rarely gets hit. He's not running for his life. He's throwing the ball less, and he's throwing more touchdowns. I think Pete looks at that says, can we do that? Hmm. Do you think the Seahawks' offense would need, and Mike has talked to me about this, and I just want to hear your thoughts on it, a third wide receiver that they can that they can have out the slot, not like a Cole Beasley, but someone close to that where Russ can rely on that player to be always open in, in certain facets of the game when he needs a big play instead of always looking deep to DK and Tyra Lockett. Do you think they need that third wide receiver? Yes. Okay. Yes, 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 yes. That's like to me – what I would like to get for them is, yes, that type of player and another tight end. You know, I mean, the Greg Olson signing, he had a foot in the broadcast booth already and was just sort of coming back because someone would give him $7 million or whatever. And I sort of felt it was a little bit breeze-like, like these guys were already kind of moving on. And it was time. I mean, that wasn't the investment they hoped it would be. Get Russell some another guy there, give him a slot guy, I mean, all the quarterbacks that, that are that are at their best have somebody like that that you can count on. I think too many times, you're right, Russell's looking way down the field. You, you need to give him some easier options. It has to be a priority this offseason. You know, I know you don't do a, uh, necessarily like a tier thing for like the coaches, although that would kind of be like fascinating, uh, to be honest. But I am curious just how Pete is viewed generally. Because like you said, like there's some things that Pete says that get Seahawks Twitter mad or Seahawks fans mad that are like pretty common among football coaches like oh the other team's playing cover too let's run it you know like i think every coach in the league you know generally understands that that is one way to beat you know two high looks like pete's not an idiot you know what i'm saying he knows he knows football but at the same time uh you know his fourth fourth down aggressiveness um some of the other just philosophies that he have probably won't uh jive with some of the the other maybe more forward-thinking pass-heavy coaches in the league just in general what's kind of the view of of pete around the league in terms of his offense yeah, well, you're you're right. I mean, I think Pete is viewed. I'll tell you this. I did at one time. Uh, I know this has been shoot. This is 2014. I did do a thing with insights on the coaches, and Pete came in second to Belichick. He's he's really highly highly respected. Um, and I think his the way he deals with people, the way he deals with players, um, you know, his the way he builds a program, all that's really respected. Some of those other things we're talking about, though, he would be seen as maybe you know, limiting the scope of what the offensive coordinator can do, right? Creating limits there that fit with his philosophy. That's what, that's what any coach would do, but can be, can become a little frustrating, right? You'd like to see that Pete Carroll, his game management, right? The, the, 
the, the details on some of these things, um, he's not seen as the best on. So you, you kind of, probably with a lot of coaches, you take the good with the bad, and with Pete, the, the good clearly outweighs the bad, but you want to fix those bads, right? You want to, like, can we just do this? And so you're you're hopeful, like, oh, okay, Waldron, is that, can that kind of walk that line, move them a little closer to being, um, you know, if they were unable to have adjustments or, or do certain things on a week-to-week basis, does this solve it? I mean, we don't know, but you're, you're kind of hoping for that, right? I mean, you're looking at this. Uh, the, the aggressiveness on fourth down, the in-game stuff, I don't know. I think that's just Pete. I mean, I think he does some things as uh, kind of an emp- empowered head coach who can sort of do what he wants, and, it, and it's frustrating. They waste timeouts. They don't do the challenges always right. You know he's got guys in the booth who are telling him the right thing to do, and he's probably not listening. Mm. Yeah, that's the scary part sometimes with Pete because it's just like this, it's some of the stuff that he's bad at, and this is like the Pete Carroll conundrum that we're kind of like having in the last like couple of years. He's really good at the hard parts of being a head coach, that culture, dealing with people, getting the best out of players, getting players to want to freaking play for you. Like that's just a huge part of the gig, and there's not really a how-to manual to do it. Pete has it down. And then there's the parts that we can easily quantify. When to use a challenge, yep. when to call timeout, when to kick it or go for it. Like all this stuff that we have all these numbers and we see can review on on, on film. Uh, and that's led to, I think last week we had Ben Baldwin on the show. Um, and we kind of brought back a debate from last year where Ben Baldwin wrote, um, is Pete Carroll the right coach for this version of the Seahawks? And then I wrote the counter that was basically like, yes, because it's easier to find, it's easier to just have him change those few things versus tearing it down and finding someone who's good at all the things Pete is bad at and good at all the things that Pete is good at. And I'm going to toss this to yeah. you, Sando. Kind of where are you on the Seahawks going forward with Pete? Like, they're obviously going to keep him, but like, how far can this team go as long as he's still who he is? Uh, well, I mean, I think they can go as I think they can go all the way. I mean, they've, they've done it before. Um, it's going to be a different way, though, because you've got the paid quarterback and you <laughs> you don't have the uh, elite defense and you can't sign guys like you could before when your quarterback is cheap. So it'll be a different way. And, you know, maybe they do need um, a little bit more offensively um, to do that and maintain it over the course of the season. And maybe that's why there's a coordinator change. But I'm kind of with you. Like, I feel like with these head coaches who get hired, it's almost like, quarterbacks drafted early you know you're excited about this unlimited potential but then you see what i'm not going to pick on nick sirianni but then you see what nick sirianni is going to do or even whoever the hot candidates that everybody wants people to hire right once they get in there you realize they've got their limitations too and maybe they can't do the things Pete can so i'm a i'm a supporter of him as a great coach um i think that it would be good for them organizationally if they could get him to maybe be a little less instinctive and seat of the pants with some of the in-game decision-making and have a little bit more processes on that. I just don't know if you're going to do that for someone who's been doing this for 40 years, right? I mean, the Bruce Arians is a little bit the same way, right? I mean, they just sometimes just do things. Yeah. And uh, yet, you know, now Bruce got Tom Brady, but you know there's been success with him too, right? He, Bruce had a good program in in Arizona, right? You know, I mean, uh, do you want to have uh, Kingsbury or you know whoever else they've hired there? <laughs> you know, that's what you that's the risk you're taking. Yeah, that's that's kind of I, I'm 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 again I'm with the like the keep Pete thing because I think yeah the stuff that he's. I'm with. It's so hard to figure. Like, man, Pete's not gonna change. He's been doing this for a very long time. To shout out another colleague. That's just what we're doing on the show. Shouting out all the colleagues. Jason Jenks had a column, I think, in 2018 on the Athletic. It was like, if you want Pete to change, you don't know who he is, right? And I was like, okay, that's really good uh, and bad at the same time. And then what do you know? In 2020, though, we get let Russ cook. Yeah, eight weeks we saw it and yeah. we thought, oh, this can work. And then things went backwards quickly. <laughs> yeah. So like, Mike, I'm gonna yeah. toss this back to you. Do you think? After seeing Let Russ Cook, I'm sure that was probably surprising to you, all that you know about Pete and him deviating from what he believes. Is that maybe a sign that this offseason he could be maybe pushed in the right direction since he's already been pushed before in an offseason? Yeah. yeah, I don't think that he is as set on running ball the ball all the time or having a really high run rate as people think. I think that that has been um, probably overstated and overplayed. There is There is truth to it. I mean... You know, but it, but I think it's taken on a life of its own. And 
I think he's okay having some variants in there. We know that because he's had variants in there. I mean, they've done it different in different years. They've been extreme both ways, extreme run and extreme pass. I don't think he wants to be either one of those. But I think he could I, – I think as long as they're being effective offensively, he's okay with it looking a little bit more pass-heavy. And we saw that this year. He did it. And then when it didn't work, it wasn't like the very first game they completely changed everything. I mean, even in the second half of the year, it wasn't like they were, you know, the number one um, run-heavy team and it went back to 2018. That wasn't the case. I mean, they had some pass-heavier games late late in the year, at least by the way that I look at it. So um, I don't think he's quite as rigid and probably gets a little bit of a bad rack. Again, well-earned because he's played that way before. But, um, you know, I don't think it's just going to be he did he has to have it that way to an absolute false stack. I'm going to look right now just while we're doing this second half of the season. Yeah, Let's I think uh, I had him at 59% using uh, Ben Baldwin's um, RBSDM site and neutral pass situations. Okay. I had it at, he had it at I think, 59% from weeks 10 to 17, okay. which sounds about right. So second half of the year on mine is 59%. Okay? There you that's, go. That's, Boom. That's, that's, and it's, See, Ben's is, Ben's is tuned up, but he does the thing with, like, between 20 and 80% win probability. Mm-hmm. Like, to me, like, okay, when does that start? Are we at 21% or are we at 79%? That's why I just do the first 28 minutes. Like, we know what it is, right? And it's 59%, which was seventh highest in the league. Mm. So 59% would be way higher than they ever were in any other year under Pete. Damn. And that's when he supposedly put the brakes on it and said, you can't cook anymore. <laughs> And that was 106 passes, 73 runs. Well, that that's pretty solid. Yeah. Um, the problem was their pass EPA on those was way down. You know, so they weren't getting the productivity. I think if Pete has the productivity, he can lean one way or the other. What he's not going to have is a bunch of turnovers in the passing game, and we're going to keep passing more. That's not happening. Sounds about Flat right. <laughs> Pete Law, right? Right. That's Pete Law. It is. If we pass, if we turn it over, we're going to stop doing what it does to turn it over. And Buffalo was the <laughs> number one example. Well, What'd you it, do, Russ? And then the L.A. game right after oh. that when they didn't even throw a touchdown. Russ was yeah. just throwing it to the other team. Yeah, yeah no, Pete that shut bad. that down quick. But, yeah, something happened with Russ this year where it was like he wasn't trusting the protection or he's looking down. He just looked he looked like a shell of himself. He looked like at his absolute worst as like a rookie in some of these games. And that was concerning, wasn't it? It was like, what happened? Where did he go? I think, um, they yeah, got to get out of that. Yeah, it was a little concerning. Mike and I had a few discussions on that regarding, is he flustered in the pocket? Because the pocket, we thought offensively, this was the best O-line they have had to date with Russell Wilson. You bring in Brandon Show, who we didn't know much about. Jets didn't want to keep him around. We're thinking, how is this going to work out? He actually played pretty well until yep. he got injured. You have Epati, Mikey Potty. He didn't really show his worth, unfortunately. He was banged up, and he just never got going. But outside of that, Dwayne Brown was solid. I thought that they had a really good offensive line, but I think ultimately Russ, he just held onto the ball a little bit too long. And we always mention that sacks is a QB stat. Russ really proved that this year. He held the ball way too much. Yeah. And, oh, yeah, yeah. And the pressure yeah. well, at times wasn't even there. It was just like, Russ, what are you waiting for? You know, throw it away or get down and run. Do something other than hold it. Go ahead, Mike. Sorry about that. He's probably being told by, you know, but, but Pete is also driving home. We can't turn it over. So, you know, Russ is playing within that. So ever, there's all these structures that are going on, right, and limitations mm-hmm. that we sort of know about, but you don't know exactly what's being said in the meeting week to week, right? So. Yeah. When they're having those turnovers, I mean, that's when Pete may walk into the offensive meeting. He may walk into the quarterback room, and he may say, we're not doing that. This ends here. I don't care if you take 100 sacks. We're not turning it over. And so now Russell's going into the game. You know, I mean, he's trying to do what their plan is, and yet it may not be there. There may not be somebody open. There may not be an outlet, but you know what? He's not going to throw it to the other team. So they have to get to a point where everybody can kind of be free to do what they need to do to be their best. And they had that for a while when it was working, and Turnovers came along, and you can only imagine what that must have been like internally with Pete, because he's not having that. 
Yeah, that's the one thing. I think Pete's willing. To, Pete would honestly let Russ pooch pun it if it was legal to move <laughs> it down the field that way, as long as Russ didn't pooch pun it to the other team. I really, I, I, I think, I think Mike, that like he, you're right. He does have his preference, but ultimately, I think he and Russ are wired the same way. In that, like, look, they're both like, look, I'll do it your way. Look at each other in the eye and say, I'll do it however you want to do it, as long as we win. And with Pete, the other caveat is, as long as we don't turn it over. Whatever we do, I don't care if you throw the ball with your elbow, Russ, as long as you don't throw it to, you know, the Niners, <laughs> we'll, 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 I'll do whatever works. And then, yeah, he saw that Buffalo game, that Arizona game, and that Rams game and said, oh, boy, that was like 10 turnovers in f- four weeks total. Yeah, that that's definitely how you get uh, in Pete's doghouse, no matter who you are, is you give the ball to the other team. Yeah, there's something to this, and, and it doesn't always hold up if you just do a hard statistical filter and look at every play, you know, and put them all together. There is something to some teams being able to play two safety defenses and and a killing rust and the offense. That and that goes back a while. It's not every time, but there have been some games, even against defenses that weren't that good, where it's just been their kryptonite. So that'll be something to huge priority right of this offseason that that can't happen it may happen in a game but it can't happen like for half a season i'm we're gonna get you out of here on this mike uh, one of the more like underrated moves i think of the offseason so far is uh, the seahawks losing uh, scott fitter one of like john schneider's like top guys you know on the scouting side of things he's now the gm of the carolina panthers he's been interviewing for jobs you know for decades it feels like uh, and finally got the one in carolina uh, a lot of people in seattle don't know too much about you know anyone in the scouting department really that's the whole point you know keep it low-key uh, but you've been around for a while just what are, the, what are the seahawks losing uh with scott going to carolina yeah i mean i think he started out in 2001-ish or i mean you have to go back a long time he was i was on the beat at the time when he came in and um, i think when i think of fitter i think um steady you know good evaluator who's steady a really good consensus builder. So I think he's probably well cut out for um, the job that he's getting. And, you know, you, for Seattle, you lose somebody who has a track record that you understand. And so, you know, if you're John Snyder, when, when Scott Fitter likes a certain guard, you know why, or when Scott Fitter likes a certain receiver, you know why there's a consistency to that, that helps you as the general manager um, know how to put all of this stuff together, right? And when you, if you replace that with people who aren't as well known to you and maybe aren't as skilled as an evaluator, have less of a track record, it probably introduces a little bit of uncertainty um, to it. That being said, I mean, I think they're just thrilled for them, you know, that because um, these, these jobs are hard to get. It's hard to know what the teams are looking for. I mean, you can have a great resume and it doesn't mean anything, right? I mean, they're, they're looking for a certain thing. I think for Carolina, you're getting somebody who's been in a place where the head coach had the final say, kind of, but the personnel guy was able to do the personnel work and do the draft and fit with the head coach, right? I mean, John Schneider's not out there talking over the top of Pete or, you you know what I mean? It's a teamwork type setup. So Fitterer is going to be coming from that. He can offer that to Carolina. I think he's good that way, you know, so... They'll miss him, but it feels like it was kind of time. You know, like you said, he'd had a bunch of interviews. Um, he and Trent Kirshner had had a bunch of interviews, and, you know, one of them got one. Maybe Trent gets one in the future, but um, good for him. Yeah, the the John Snyder extension, actually there's there's a few things. The Pete extension, because it came, we heard about it after the Buffalo game, or before the Buffalo game, which was like the worst timing possible. Mm-hmm. Uh, then John Snyder got the, he was rumored to have been going to Detroit, and then he got an extension and then Fitter uh, ends up leaving. There's so there was like two reactions on each side. It was like, oh my god, I hope this guy bounces. Uh, you know, look at all our first round picks. Let's get Schneider up out of here. Uh, if if Scott was if the guy who took like McDowell or LJ or whoever or Penny, get him out of here too. And then there was like the other side of like, thank God. Uh, we're keeping Schneider. Oh damn, I'm really pissed. We lost Fitter. Oh man, uh, with Pete, with Pete, it was both reactions. Like, oh man, damn, we're gonna do this for five more years, mm. or it was yes, let's do this for five <laughs> more years. But I think with with Scott, I'm with I'm with you, Mike. Like he was he, he was John's guy. This is a team that's good at drafting, not as great as their 2010 to 12 runs suggest, but really good at drafting and and finding players. So yeah, to lose a guy like that. That's definitely going to be a little bit of a blow. But thankfully, John's still here, and he'll be here yes. for, what, 2055? <laughs> However long that uh, that contract Keep so. him here. That works. <laughs> still, uh, still, still going for? Uh, yeah, so. Uh, yeah, I mean, look, if you're going with Pete, if you're going to go with Pete, then you keep John together, right? You know what I mean? I, I, 
I think that relationship is so critical and so underrated. Guys, I was covering this team when they couldn't get that right. I mean, they had yeah. a Hall of Fame caliber coach in Mike Holmgren, and then they didn't want to. They didn't want. They had Ted Thompson in the building, and they didn't want to give Ted the job because of politics. They didn't want. They thought Mike would have too much power, and so they went away. Ted left, and four months later, drafted Aaron Rodgers with the twenty fourth pick. Now Seattle had the twenty third pick that year, and took a center. Okay. Oof, wow. I mean. Ted Thompson's one of the great personnel guys, and uh, they, for the wrong reasons, because you didn't want to consolidate power with Holmgren, you let him go, and then you hired somebody from the outside who's a great guy. Tim Russell's a great guy, but it, it wasn't going to be a good fit with Holmgren because Holmgren is a big power coach. He's a big power player, and when you bring in somebody who's not his guy, then there's going to be a power issue, and Mike Holmgren's not losing any power issue, okay? So you had turmoil in your front office that really drove Mike Holmgren out of the organization eventually. And then they got it right with Pete and John, these two guys together. But be careful what you wish for when you want to change one of those out. Because if, you, if your coach and GM are not on the same page, I don't care if one of them is a Hall of Famer. You're going to have problems. Yeah, I think on the, the Seahawks are like a really good example. It lasts mm, like, like decade or so of just relationships in general, or whether that's your quarterback and your coach, your quarterback and your OC, your, your coach and your GM, your GM and his scouting guys. If those relationships are right, it'll get right eventually. It might not always get you the Legion of Boom or get you a Russell Wilson, but it'll, it'll get you where you need to be. If those relationships are poor, then you're the Browns. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And now, but look, they got their relationships right with Andrew Barry, Stefanski, right? Uh, those guys actually fit with, with Dee Podesta, who was a villain before. Um, and now they're on the right path because without those relationships, they're not. That's the difference. There we go. We're, we're, we're good for relationship analogies on this show because I think that does it. That does it the best. Uh, yes. I think it does. Uh, Mike Sando, we appreciate you jumping on the Seahawks Men and Men podcast with you, uh, with us. Uh, we got to get we got to make this at least an annual thing with Mike. He's got so much insight, man. I love that. Uh, for people who don't know, if you guys see me use a stat in an article that I write, chances are I ask Mike how to find it at like 10 o'clock at night. It's like there's a pretty good chance that I just randomly said, Mike, can you help me find this thing? And he helped me find it in two seconds. And then I was able to use it. Um, you know, in, in the story. So, like, consider, like, a dual byline on anything I have that has any numbers of note uh, in my stuff. So, with that said, make sure you guys go read all of uh, Mike's stuff on The Athletic. Check out his Pick 6 column. I read it, you know, every I think every Monday is when that drops. I love it. It gives me great insight. I learn something um, every time. Uh, Mike, uh, what's your Twitter? And tell us if you're verified. <laughs> I think I still am. At Sando NFL, you can find me there. Thanks for the kind words. I uh, really appreciate your work. You do a great job. There's a, a good tradition of Seahawk beat writers. There's been a lot of good ones. It's great to see you just uh, growing before our eyes, really, uh, as a young guy. You are a young guy, but you, you're doing a great job. Keep it up. Thanks for having me on. I look forward to next time. All right. And he is verified, Chris. So it's just I you got on the it. show that yep. is not with the blue check. We'll get you one <laughs> eventually. We thank you guys for tuning into the Seahawks Man to Man podcast. Thank you, Mike Sando, our guest, for joining us. We will catch you guys next time. We are out. Shows you a couple of